like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. Today for Song of the Soul, we have the privilege of welcoming Kim Harris, who, with her husband Reggie, has been making loads of great music for a long time, but also educating and motivating people, young and old, about African American history, the environment, and much more. Reggie Harris joined me a few months ago, and Kim has finally been able to carve out a bit of time from her ample schedule at Union Theological Seminary to speak with us today. Kim Harris joins us by phone from New York. Kim, I'm so pleased to finally have you here on Song of the Soul. Well, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. And I've heard wonderful things from Terry and Greg Magpie, who you've had on, and also, of course, Reggie. So uh, I'm glad to finally get a chance to be on, too. You know, when I had Reggie on, I knew I had to speak to you right away when he told me that you were at Union Theological Seminary. It seems like a different career track, the folk musician line or the seminary track. What led you there? Well, it's actually not a different career track, (laughs) which is interesting. And I would say that these days especially, maybe it has been, but I would say of the people that we know, there are several folk musicians who now have Master of Divinity degrees. Some of them are now pastors etc. at various churches and it is related and I know for me it is absolutely not a different track. What I say to people is I sing the same songs all the time from morning to night, basically singing the songs of faith and songs of freedom, the spiritual and the freedom songs of the civil rights movement. Sing all the same songs. Now I could be out in front of a group of K through 5 students at a school. I could be with Reg in front of a group of teachers helping them learn how to use music in their classroom, like the work we do for the Kennedy Center. I could be at a church singing spirituals as part of a worship service, could be at a synagogue singing for Shabbat service, or I could be at school in seminary these days teaching about the spirituals and also studying about the spirituals, but it's all the same songs. And I'll get my PhD because I wrote a mass based on spirituals. <laughs> so I'm lucky and blessed that I get to do the same music pretty much all the time. It's just the audiences change. And when are you going to get that PhD? Well, I'm defending my PhD this coming fall, fall of 2012. Well, good luck on that one. Thank you. When you mentioned some of the singers who went to seminary and and now maybe are pastors, I think of Meg Barnhouse, I think of Fred Small. Who were you thinking of? Well, I was thinking of both of them. I believe that Joe Jinks is also 
beginning some seminary training. Also, Amy Carroll Webb. Okay. Yeah. And I believe she has already completed her Master of Divinity, and I'm pretty sure she's not a full-time pastor, but these days she fills in as an interim and as a supply pastor, you know, preaching for various churches that need it. So, you know, and like I said, that's my generation that I'm thinking of, my generation of folk musicians, but I'm sure that this has probably happened many times before. So why did you wait so late in life to do this? You could have done it when you're 20s or in your 30s or... Actually, I've been in school, going to school very slowly, and I started in 1992. (laughs) (laughs) Don't rush into things, okay? (laughs) No, no, no. Well, you know, I graduated from college. Both Reg and I were at Temple University in Philadelphia, and I believe I graduated in 1978. And then just a few years after that, Reg and I started going on the road full-time as folk musicians. Now, also at the same time, well, a lot of people in the folk market don't necessarily know about this, is that we were also doing all kinds of performing in sacred settings. So even, you know, at that time, we were doing things like trying to think for about 20 years or so. Every year we would sing for the Catholic Youth Rally, and it was the, uh, the CYO in Philadelphia, and then we even became involved with the uh, Catholic Youth Organization on the national scene. You know, people don't know that we've been involved, you know, doing interfaith work for oh, just years and years and years. So that's always been a part of the kind of uh, performances that we do. We've been at Fringe General Conference a few times. You know, so we've done many, many different kinds of things all while we were also pursuing our folk music career. I think you're going to be at Friends General Conference this year, right, in Rhode Island? We are indeed. I was looking forward to seeing you in person because, of course, (laughs) I'll be there regular. I'll be doing daily interviews there, too. Yes. So that has always been a part of who we are. So when, uh, and I forget how old I would have been in 1991, 92, but I thought to myself, If I could get any master's degree, what would it be in? And at that point, you know, I had already started reading some interesting books on theology, and I thought, you know, if I was going to get a master's degree, what would it be? And I thought, you know, a master's in theology, and this is eventually I did switch to the Master of Divinity, and I thought, what school would I go to? Well, I looked on the back of the book of all of my favorite authors, (laughs) and several of them were already teaching at Union Theological Seminary, and so I said, That was one consideration. The other consideration was, since I'm on the road, I need a school that I can get to easily from, you know, this will sound grandiose, but (laughs) pretty much from anywhere in the world, I need to be able to get back to school. (laughs) Now, (laughs) in time for class. In time for class. Now, you know, I have to say that there have been many a morning where I wake up in Texas or wake up in Chicago or, you know, wherever have jumped on a plane at, you know, 5, 10 a.m. <laughs> and been back for class to either teach or to take class at 2.10. You know, so it just all depends. So New York City was a very obvious choice for being able to do that or being able to uh, go to class and then hop on a plane and head out to wherever I needed to go. As we were talking before the interview began, This is, of course, the profession on which to get rich. I'm assuming that you're not thinking of ministry as your alternative rich source, are you? (laughs) Well, you know, people do ask me about the kinds of things that I'll be doing. Most people always think 
when they hear that you're in seminary, they immediately assume, and it's not an unfounded assumption, but they immediately assume that you will become a pastor someplace. But there are, especially at a place like Union, yes, we have many people who are on the ordination track, but we have people doing all kinds of work. One of my colleagues is working at the UN now, and she'll continue with that. You know, we have people, lots of our students were occupying Wall Street. We have people that are taking a joint Master of Divinity and social work. We have, you know, we have people that are doing so many different kinds of things. Now, for me, my degree uh, will be in liturgy. What I say to people these days is there are so many times that people will be at a folk festival or one of our concerts or will be part of a concert with some other people, and you can hear people, and sometimes they almost say this quote exactly, they'll say, this felt like a worship experience. You know, something in this gathering felt like a religious experience. And then the next thing they usually say is, if church felt like this, or even sometimes they say, if synagogue felt like this, I would go more often. And so what I say to a lot of people is, as a liturgist, part of what I strive to do is to help people to enliven their worship services so that the kind of feeling that they get at the concerts and it's people singing together and the camaraderie and the kinds of things we're talking and singing about, that they'll bring that same kind of feeling into their worship experiences. For my doctorate, I've composed a mass that can be used in its entirety, actually, in Catholic churches, Episcopal and, and Lutheran churches, and then also other denominations, and people have used parts of it. They, they wouldn't, you know, because of their worship, they wouldn't use it in its entirety, but they've used parts of it. And my Mass is all based on spirituals. Well, so, Kim, since this is Song of the Soul, how about you give us an example of some of that kind of music? Well, I'd love to start with the song, Let Us Break Bread Together on Our Knees. The reason is because when I think about my spiritual development and my real interest, my and Reggie's real interest in the spirituals, part of it stems from an experience that I had as a young person, probably in fourth or fifth grade. I went to an assembly program, and at that time people were beginning to do programs on African-American history, black history kinds of programs. And this would have been, you know, fourth or fifth grade, so this was early mid-60s. The presenter at the program started talking about the Underground Railroad, you know, about Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and the incredible things that were going on as people were physically escaping from slavery here in the United States. And he said songs were used as secrets on the Underground Railroad. And I was, you know, interested in that, you know, as a kid, wow, songs and secrets and chases, you know, all those kinds of things that make kids get really interested, and adults too. And then he began to sing a song that I had known my whole life. Now, right, I was, you know, nine, ten years old, but, you know, a song that I loved from church. And the song he began to sing is the first one that we'll be playing, Let Us Break Bread Together on Our Knees. Some of your listeners might know that song because... In many Christian denominations, it's used as a communion song. 
you know, it says, let us break bread together on our knees. When I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. And in, in church hymnals, it usually the second verse would be, let us drink wine together on our knees. And then the third verse, let us praise God together on our knees. Well, I was very surprised as a young person hearing that song because I was used to it in the communion context. He sang the song, and then he explained that people in slavery knew, just as we all know, that to do something and do it well, you need to get together and to plan and to find some allies. But in living your life under slavery, how could you have a meeting? How could you even call for a secret meeting? Well, in some places, let us break bread together was one of the ways that enslaved African Americans called for a secret meeting. But of course, you need to know when and where the meeting was going to take place. Well, the next line says, when I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun. Now, there are a lot of things about that line. You know, first of all, it tells you the time, it tells you the place, and it also, I believe, gives another spiritual and cultural echo that was present among slave communities. Now, when I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun, obviously it's going to be at sunrise. And if you fall on your knees facing the rising sun, you are facing east, as we have to remind young people (laughs) many, many, many times, because they don't know the direction so well. Very challenged directionally. (laughs) And so you can imagine the meeting being early in the morning before sunrise, on the eastern side of the farm or town or village or plantation, and then gathering there. And, you know, groups of people need to gather and find ways to gather. And it's an incredible thing to think about songs as freedom songs and very practical kinds of songs. Now, I did say that I believe there's also another cultural echo. The scholars these days think that probably 10 to 15 percent of the people who were taken from their African homelands and brought to America in slavery had Islam as their faith tradition. You can see that in in some of the slave narratives. The most famous of one would be the narrative by Alado Equiano, who kept up his Islamic tradition and talked about it and wrote about it. So when you put that fact next to a line like, when I fall on my knees with my face to the rising sun, you understand that this could be a reflection of people who, some of whom were also getting up early in the morning for the first set of morning prayers that would also be an hour to an hour and a half before the sun came up. So there are so many things that these songs can carry and can help us remember. So why I really wanted to have Let Us Break Bread Together on Our Knees be first is because It has so much to do with how and why Reggie and I do our work in terms of singing and teaching about these freedom songs and has led me eventually towards getting this Ph.D. in liturgy. Let us break bread together on our knees. Let us break bread together I'm 
face to the rising sun. Oh, oh, oh Lord, have mercy on me. Let us break bread together. Break Bread Together on Our Knees by Kim and Reggie Harris. That's from Steal Away, their CD. You can go to their website, which is kimandreggie.com, and you'll find that. You'll find a link, of course, from northernspiritradio.org, and you'll find a lot of good information about them. I don't know, there's eight, nine, ten recordings by them. By the time you get out to their website, maybe they'll all be listed. You've got a new one coming out also, Kim, uh, Resurrection Day, when's that supposed to arrive? Yes, Resurrection Day is going to arrive in September. That particular song, Resurrection Day, and, and I'm sure Reggie talked about it when you inter- interviewed him, grew out of an experience that he and I had a very, very challenging, oh, 15, 16 years really. Reg was faced with an autoimmune illness that eventually destroyed his liver. So he was the recipient of a liver transplant. He probably told you the story. I'll repeat again because it's it's just so great. When he was recovering, uh, just a day or two after he had received the transplant, and so, you know, he says, you know, he was still coming back into consciousness. My mom, who's been an incredible supporter of ours, walked into his hospital room and said, you know, Reg, this has been 
such an incredible experience. I'm sure you're going to write a song. You have to write a song about it. And Reggie tells this story, so I'm not telling any tales out of school here. He said to my mother, get out of my room. <laughs> yes, he was thinking, what is he talking about? Write a song. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and yet, probably six to eight months later, a song began to come to him. It took a while to write, but that title track of our, our new CD, Resurrection Day, really grows out of that incredible experience of uh, you know receiving a liver transplant and coming back to life, <laughs> literally and emotionally and musically, really coming back to life. And is there any possibility of congruence that in the fall, that's also when you're supposed to get your PhD and finally be able to be done with this long process. <laughs> well, um, you know, I know that it will be a huge milestone. As for being done with the process, the PhD is just part of the process of lifelong learning. I was with my mother yesterday, and she said, you know, I love school. I've always loved school, and I think I passed that on to you, too. <laughs> My mom is 80 years old, and she's still, you know, saying, I love school, and she still actually teaches people in various contexts. Oh, goodness. So yeah. I can see that school will be a part of my life in some kind of way, shape, or form forever. <laughs> Well, keep us going on your music, Kim. We've got some really wonderful music ahead of us. What do you want to do next? Well, next is actually another song from Steal Away. It's a song called Ain't I a Woman. I definitely want to celebrate women, especially the women in folk music, the ones that are in folk music right now and our ancestor women. Uh, uh, just this past year, of course, we lost Odetta, and Mary Travers of Peter, Paul, and Mary. In hearing the stories of especially some of the early uh, women who were part of folk music in the 1960s, and hear them talk about how hard it was to be out on the road and to have the respect of the men with whom they were working and traveling and in relationship with, and that's not highlighted so much. And I think about how challenging it is for me and for the women that I know these days. So Ain't I a Woman, it's based on a story that is true at its core and I believe has also had a few apocryphal elements added to it. These are words that were spoken by Sojourner Truth. The way this story goes, she was giving a speech. As many people probably know, she was a slave. She got her own freedom, and there are incredible stories. There's one in particular where she runs away. She lived not terribly, terribly far from where Reggie and I live right now in eastern upstate New York. At one point, she ran away, and it wasn't a plantation context because that's not what slavery was like in New York State. And she was gone for several months, and her master found her and came with his carriage to take her back and was, you know, trying to get her to come back. And she had been really abused as a slave, physically, sexually abused also. She says, and this is actually an incredible story, she says that she was missing some of her family and missing some people, and it was getting near, I believe, the Christmas holidays, and she actually thought about going back. And she says that she had a vision 
standing between her and that carriage. She says she had a vision of Jesus, and Jesus was dressed as a black slave woman. Now, that is just an incredible vision to think about and, and, you know, in that time, in that place, and in our own time, in our own place. You know, normally when people say they had a vision of Jesus, they don't talk about him as a black slave woman. She says she had that vision and knew that she could never go back. There are many incredible stories about Sojourner Truth, the story of her going to court in upstate New York where black people, you know, at a time when all over the country black people actually had no standing in any court of law. And she petitioned and sued and got her son out of slavery. He was being sold further south at a time when it was illegal to do that in New York State. Uh, there are just so many incredible stories. And then the story of these particular words, she had gone to, um, it was a meeting for women's rights. And people were talking about how, you know, women were so so delicate, essentially, that they, they couldn't have the same rights as a man because they needed to be helped, you know, helped into carriages and lifted over ditches, and their lives are so delicate. Supposedly, she went to the front of the room. It was probably in a meeting being held in a church and turned to the people and said, you know, I lived my life under slavery. I, you know, my life was not delicate, and ain't I a woman? Now, there, there are many other stories around that particular incident, but that's where these words come from. And two of my folk music sisters helped put this song together. I love getting a chance to sing it, so I look forward to having your listeners hear this song. Based on the words of Sojourner Truth, Ain't I a Woman? Well, that man over there says that women need to be helped into carriages lifted over ditches and given the best place everywhere well nobody ever helps me into carriages over mud puddles or gives me any best place and ain't I a woman look at me look at my arm I have plowed planted and gathered into barns and no man could head me and ain't I a woman I can work as much and eat as much as a man when I could get it and bear the lasher as well and ain't I a woman I have borne five children and seen all of them sold off into slavery and when I cried out with a mother's grief none but Jesus heard me and ain't I a woman well that that women can't have the same rights as a man Cause Christ wasn't a woman Well, where did your Christ come from? From God and a woman And man didn't have nothing to do with 
Kim and Reggie Harris, Ain't I a Woman? That's from their Steal Away recording. I think, as you said, Kim, that started out on vinyl and has migrated through the years. Some really rich moments of black history. African Americans have certainly contributed so much to this country. I'm not sure the degree to which we recognize it fully yet. Fortunately, you and Reggie get out there and you do workshops. Uh, you do all kinds of formats with schools and other places, right? We do. We do many assembly programs in schools. And, you know, I would say to people that even if we become the famous folk rock stars, you know, any of that, you know, or, you know, I'm a professor, or, you know, at a seminary or anything, I always at some point during the year want to go back and do a program for some K-5 to students because they'll keep you honest. And they'll let you know what you're explaining and doing well and what you're not doing so well. (laughs) So, Ridge and I laugh about this. We said there's always something that we learn when we're in with a group of young people. And then if you really want to be challenged, we do the same, you know, we do a similar program for the, you know, the seventh graders. (laughs) And that's always its own challenge. But, yes, teaching about African-American history has been a lot of what Reggie and I do. But we also do these songs when we sing, you know, at folk festivals. You know, we sing a lot of the same songs. Now, at a folk festival, we'll, you know, we add environmental songs and love songs and funny songs and all different kinds of things, too. So give us some more music for your Song of the Soul. The next piece comes from part of what Reggie and I love to get to do. Reggie met a friend playing basketball. We were living in Philadelphia at the time, and this friend, whose name is Jonathan Kligler, was a student rabbi. He was in a Reconstructionist rabbinical school. We got to be great friends, and as we were talking, we, he eventually invited us to share Passover with his family. Many of the freedom songs, especially from the civil rights movement, but also from the Underground Railroad, songs like Go Down Moses and Ain't You Got a Right to the Tree of Life, there are various Jewish contexts where people sing those songs, especially for Passover. Eventually, when Jonathan became the rabbi of the Woodstock Jewish Congregation, which was 25 years ago this year, he invited us to come and sing. And we had such a great time singing with the congregation and singing with Jonathan every year at Passover at his house that we decided to put a CD together. It represents the shared experiences that Jews and African Americans have had. Of course, in the black slave context, the stories of the Hebrew scriptures, like the story of Moses leading his people to freedom, were so inspiring that that's why so many of the spirituals take those kinds of themes. And then, you know, we received a gift from the stories that come from the Hebrew scriptures, but then... African Americans gave a gift back in terms of these songs that are used by some people as they celebrate Passover. So this next song, I'm on my way to freedom land. It begins with Jonathan singing a piece that is part of the Passover ritual. Essentially it says, in every generation, we must each imagine ourselves as being personally led to freedom. The idea of celebrating Passover is not remembering a past experience. It's really about being led to freedom continually and in the present time. So he sings that first in Hebrew, and then Reggie and I sing with Jonathan and the congregation, I'm on my way to freedom land. It's from the CD called Let My People Go. Dor vador, chayav adam lirot et 
כאילו הוא יצא ממצרים. שנאמר, והגדת לבנך, ביום ההוא לאמור, בעבור זה עשה אדוני לי, בצאתי ממצרים. In every generation, each of us must know, we're on the way to freedom.
another spiritual gem from Kim and Reggie Harris. Also, you heard Jonathan Kliegler in there. Again, it's from their Let My People Go CD. You can find that on kimandreggie.com. Follow the link also from northernspiritradio.org. You are listening to Song of the Soul, which is a Northern Spirit Radio production. My website, northernspiritradio.org, has links to all my guests. We have archives of almost seven years now of great musicians and great activists working to make this world a better place. And sometimes, like with Kim and Reggie, you find their intersection, people making this world a better place through their music. But today, it's Kim's Song of the Soul. She's at Union Theological Seminary, where she's about to finish a certain milestone in her learning. You grew up in Philadelphia, I think, right? How was that for you? What was that experience like? Well... It's very interesting because, you know, as I was growing up, it was the, uh, you know, late 50s, early 60s, and into the later 1960s. Part of my experience as a young person growing up was to be one of a few black children that were selected to help integrate a school when I was in elementary school. You know, what I didn't know until much later was that my mother and father went to parents' meetings with some of the white parents from that elementary school, and they, there were big arguments. My mother talked about going to these parents' meetings where you know, the white parents were just saying that if you know, the black students came, they were going to mess up the school and just all those kinds of things. Now, when I got to the school, I didn't have you know, a horrible experience. You know, I didn't have the experience like the Little Rock Nine or anything like that. But I was one of just a very few black students that were helping to integrate this school. Besides that, by the time I got to high school, I went to the Philadelphia High School for Girls, and there was all kinds of great music going on. And I was in the orchestra. I played the viola. I was in the choir, the treble clef choir at Girls High. And eventually I joined the marching band just because I wanted to have the experience of being in the marching band. And, but uh, I didn't know how to play any brass instruments or anything, so I played one of the drums. What was your religious background growing up currently? How, what's that been like for you? Well, I grew up in the Presbyterian Church, Germantown Community United Presbyterian Church. And what it was, really, was that there was a black church called uh, Faith Presbyterian Church, that was, you know, majority or pretty much all African-American, bursting at the seams with a building that was fairly old. And there was a white church, and they had a larger building, but with a dwindling and aging congregation. And these two churches, I'm sure, you know, encouraged by the Presbytery, merged. And that's where Germantown Community United Presbyterian Church came from. But in the 1960s, this was a bold step that these churches were taking. And so that was the context of my growing up in the Presbyterian Church. We were very involved in church. And I remember going to uh, confirmation class. I guess I probably was in seventh grade. And for our confirmation class retreat, they took us to Princeton Theological Seminary in New Jersey. And we stayed right there on campus. Now, at that point... There were women at Princeton Seminary, but there were, we'll say, several hundred men and probably eight to ten women. And I remember as a seventh grader saying to myself, one day I'm coming to seminary too. 
I had no idea what I was talking about, <laughs> but I was already thinking about something like that as a young person, and, and I was inspired by seeing these women. And, you know, as I got older, and now I know some of the women that went to that seminary early on when women were first admitted and, and realized that it was, you know, it was difficult for them in many different ways. But I, I found them very inspiring as a uh, seventh grader. And how has your religious journey continued? When I got to 12th grade, my mother said, you know, I've made you go to church every Sunday. Now, I loved going to church, you know. <laughs> but she said, you know, so now that you are becoming an adult and you're getting ready to uh, go to college, you can decide if you want to go or not. And the first thing I did was say, well, I don't feel like going. And I didn't go for, oh, I don't know, maybe a month. <laughs> What restraint. <laughs> it's also strange not to be doing something on Sunday morning. But as a young person, when I went to, uh, I went to overnight camp, and at the camp, some of the counselors were from other English-speaking countries around the world. And so I encountered some counselors that were from England, and some were from India, and some were from Australia. And uh, some of the ones from India had different religious traditions, and one of them was telling us about, you know, ashrams and, you know, being Hindu and, you know, and these were very interesting kinds of things. And then also growing up in the neighborhood where I was, I had, you know, many close friends that were Jewish. And as kids, we were all, even though it was a changing neighborhood that eventually became mostly African-American, for a while there, we were all living together and figuring each other out. And they were coming to visit and we were going to their, you know, bar and bat mitzvahs and things. So I... I at one point, I thought after I'd stopped going to church for that you know month or two, I said, well, I should probably study all the major religions and then figure out which one I want to be. Well, an impossible task. But I had also had an interest in Catholicism because I grew up with some wonderful Catholic friends. And also, I grew up going to one of the coffee houses, because remember, this was the 60s that was run by a Catholic church not too far away from my house. And, you know, the cool kids were going to the coffee house. You know, so eventually I started, you know, checking out the Catholic church, and I got involved with the Newman Center on Temple University's campus. You know, I sang, and I started thinking about some of the contemplative tradition, and I studied in a course at Temple University. I studied Teresa of Avila, and eventually I decided that, uh, you know, because of this contemplative tradition and my real love for things like ritual, except I probably wouldn't have articulated it that way back then, that I was going to become uh, a Catholic, and so I've been Catholic since 1977. Well, so by 1972, I stopped being Catholic. That's when I started on the Quaker path. But, you know, I had that similar search uh, when I graduated high school. I said, I want to check out and see what religions are out there. And so that summer, I went to like eight different churches. And mm -hmm. that's the first time I experienced Quaker as well. I didn't decide anything right away. But there comes a point when it seems appropriate to say, what fits for me? What is my inner spiritual topography and how does that match with the outer world. So more power to you for having made that decision and choice and direction. Yes, it, it's been life-changing in many different ways. <laughs> well, we're coming down to the end here. We've got time for one more. How shall we conclude your Song of the Soul, Kim? Well, the last song is Spoken in Love, and this is one of Reggie's pieces. 
Reggie and I both sing it together, but it's one of Reggie's originals. It really comes from part of the beginning of my decision to go to seminary. I started seminary, actually, at a small extension seminary here in Albany, the St. Bernard's Institute. But before I started off with my study, as I told you, I was reading many different theological books. And so one of the people that I was reading was giving a lecture on the place of women in the Catholic Church. So I decided that I would go to the lecture that night. Reg was home. When I came back from the lecture, I was so fired up about the injustices that had been done to women in the church. Reggie tells the story. He says, I came bursting into the house and just all fired up and just, you know, talking and just kind of slamming things, going around the house, all that kind of thing. And it was a, a gorgeous night outside. And so I, I ranted and railed around the house for a bit. And I said, I'm going out for a walk. And I went out for a walk. And Reggie picked up a pad and pencil. And he started to write. The song that he wrote is an incredible song. And it's the song Spoken in Love. Joy, peace, and forgiveness and joy. Peace, and forgiveness and joy. Peace, and forgiveness and love. You try to control Now I speak what I feel The spell is broken Now we are equals together Even if you won't hear my voice I am here This pain is so real Till now unspoken So we go up and down Circling around in a pain Can be spoken 
joy, peace, and forgiveness and love. In love. Let the words of my mouth all be the words that my heart has revealed in the words of Harris, Spoken in Love. There was one more thing that I wanted to ask about that song. Joy, peace, anger, forgiveness. And love. And love, right. Which is, yeah, the end of that line. Mm -hmm. The joy, peace, anger, forgiveness, and love. And if I was in grade school, they would ask, which of these doesn't fit with the above set? (laughs) Tell me about the anger in there. Does it fit seamlessly in your perception? It does, you know, especially now what we find happens, and it certainly has happened with this song, but it happens with all of our songs, even with, you know, with Resurrection Day. Songs begin to take on surplus of meaning that you may not have even been thinking about when you wrote them. And actually that's the mark, a lot of times the mark of a really great song is that it can, that meaning, other meanings can be, be attached to the song, especially by your listeners that didn't have the experience that you have. And with this song, especially coming out of the real specific context of feeling righteous anger at the treatment of women in the Catholic Church, and knowing yet that in my experience being a part of my local and national and international church community, that there are times when I feel great joy. There are times when I feel, you know, peace. 
And there are many times when I feel anger, and there are times when I have to forgive my church, when I, even sometimes when I don't want to, and to continue to call them to righteousness, holiness, and justice. So joy, peace, anger, forgiveness, but at the base of all of this is love. Thank you for taking us on such a kaleidoscopic journey of spirit today. I love your music, I love your passion, and I love seeing what you're growing continuously into. Thanks so much for joining me for Song of the Soul. Oh, you are welcome, and I look forward to seeing you in various places down the road. Yeah, like this coming summer, I'll make a point of connecting with you when we're both at the Friends General Conference gathering that will be in Rhode Island, Kingston, Rhode Island. So I'll see you in July. All right, thank you. Due to time limitations, there's one portion of this interview that we had to offload to our site. Look under the excerpts for this interview with Kim Harris, and you'll hear about Short Shift at Ground Zero, both the interview and recording, all at northernspiritradio.org. Let's meet next week for Song of the Soul. The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy. Sing out a song of the soul.